Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Spin the Wheel podcast. I am your host for today. Uh, I am not the Ancient One, though I probably do look a little bit like him. I'm Mike, and I've uh, taken over hosting duties for this one because Will isn't here. Uh, but I am thrilled to be joined by two very special guests from the We Pay for Your Floor podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm a co-host here. <laughs> yes, of course. But, you know, I wanted to introduce the two of you together without starting an argument in the couple. That's couples. fair, <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. So, uh, yeah, Andy and Phil from We Pay For Your Floor, welcome to the podcast. Hello! <laughs> Hello! For those of you who've uh, been watching Spin or listening to Spin the Wheel for a while, you may recognise Phil as the name of, of my boyfriend, who this unfortunately is. What? No. Oh, God. <laughs> Who agreed that? You no. did, seven years ago. You can leave oh. whenever you want. Nah. <laughs> Fair enough. This is going to be anyway. a lovely... Uh, this is going to be a lovely episode of me playing third wheel, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> suffice to say, I'm, I'm basically replacing Sarah for the day. So, <laughs> so basically, yeah. <laughs> I should have asked her for advice on how to deal with the two of you, but anyway. Oh, I, sh- I should have got my ukulele and done, a, done our theme song. <laughs> we didn't We're get not you to taking do over. No. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, this believe it or not, this is actually a Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> if you uh, if you couldn't tell from finding out last week and from my hilarious uh, little avatar here, we are reviewing the episode "The Curse of Fedric." Which, when Will told me, let me tell you, Phil, Phil will be able to tell you because he was there at the time. When Will told me that this is what it landed on, I pretty much jumped for joy. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yes, I got my favourite. Because this was on my, this was one of my um, selections for the wheel. Spoilers. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you, 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 you looked at me and was like, you're going to be really happy. I was like, why? It's, it's either going to be something really bad or something really good. It's like, is it Black Orchid? Please let it be Black Orchid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. That, oh, was on, that was one of Phil's selections. Oh, nice. Phil just woke up and chose violence that day, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny, because he normally wakes up and chooses laziness. Hey, man, I can relate. I'm not saying anything <laughs> about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, um, as I've been mentioning to these guys before we started recording, I have actually now seen two versions of The Curse of Fenric ready for the podcast. I had seen the regular TV version in the past, but it was a few years ago. So I did watch the four-part version ready to review and then also watched the special edition, um, which is on the... Because I, I was quite thrilled to be able to crack open my season 26 Blu-ray set and watch something on it. Um, if if you don't have it and you're a fan of The Curse of Fenric, it's probably a must-buy because there's three versions. I only watched two of them. There's the four-part TV version, the special edition movie length with updated effects and everything, and then the VHS version with six minutes of newly incorporated footage that's apparently... I was, I was about to yeah. say, is there any like bonus scenes or anything? Yeah, there is, but I'll get into it uh, probably at the end because, as I say, I did watch both versions. The differences are... In terms of the deleted scenes, there's nothing super memorable. There's a couple of little extra bits of backstory and explanations that you don't really need that you can kind of see why they were cut. Um, but there is, I do recommend the movie-length version because the effects, even when I didn't think the effects were bad, they've been updated and they've massively improved. So Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't think the effects were really that bad in this episode for the most part. 
No, well, there's a couple of things like um, the, the best example I can think of when I was looking it up because I was curious was um, in part, I think it's part one when the runes start to glow, maybe part two, the runes begin to glow and then um, sort of appear with a, a oh, almost illuminated with yeah. fire um, on the wall. And they wanted to do that effect by apparently cutting through with something hot or whatever and making it appear that way on the day, but couldn't because it didn't work. Um, so it's a very sort of basic 1980s video effect when it does appear. Uh, and on the newer version, it really is like it looks like something's burning them in and then there's sparks and flame and everything. So that's just a quick example of one of the differences. That's kind of cool. That's yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the other one that's probably worth mentioning is that um, when the two really annoying girl vampires die, uh, there's a much more grotesque sort of full body melting sequence as opposed to just... Which is funny <laughs> considering like we watched, so we just watched the version that's on Brightbox, which is like the standard TV version, I think. And even yeah. then when they died, I was like, that is actually quite gruesome for Doctor Who. <laughs> like we just watched them melt, kind of. Which yeah, I know, but, I know, uh, I know. It kind of happens in other. In, I can't remember which story it is, but I think there's a fourth Doctor one where people's skin literally melts off their body. Uh, yeah. It's not Brain of Morbius. I can't remember which one it is. Something to do with radiation. But like, I remember <laughs> seeing that and thinking, like, oh god, that's a bit gory. I can't so, wait for the target novelization of Doctor Who and Summit with radiation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, coming next summer. That'll be great. <laughs> Starring Kaylee <Hayley> Minogue. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just just to keep us on track, um, we this is obviously the Spin the Wheel podcast. It's not hit or miss, so we're not going with a fine tooth comb, scene by scene, analysing everything. But we do tend to split things into um, just for the sake of the hosts of TARDIS team, sidecast, villains, story, other, and then end with a sort of conclusion and a score. So yeah, uh, just to quickly get into it, I'll start us off with what did we think? This is going to be pretty basic and obvious, but what did we think of the TARDIS team in this story? I'll let uh, Phil go first. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I'd describe how happy I was seeing this episode because Sylvester McCoy is my favourite Doctor. Um, nice. Yeah. And the way that Sylvester and Sophie Aldred work together on screen, the Doctor and Ace, they are just brilliant. They are fantastic together. It just it gives me the warm fuzzies. Just any time they're on screen together, or just any time they're together, it just makes me happy. Excellent. Yeah, they've got their fans. And what about you, Andy? Are you similar? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I, I adore uh, Seven and Ace. It's one of my favourite TARDIS teams pretty much ever. I always struggle to, to say whether Ace, Sarah Jane, or Joe are my, is my favourite classic companion, but like they're all fighting for the top spot. I love all three of them. But, yeah, those are the three yeah. top choices for sure, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but like... Yeah, Ace and Seven just—they just really click well, uh, especially given that like Seven's a lot, a much—at least in my opinion—a much darker Doctor than like three and four were. So it's kind of nice to have such a like brilliant dynamic between a companion and a Doctor who isn't necessarily the nicest, as we kind of find out throughout this kind of over this season, really. Because I think Ghostlight comes just before this, doesn't it? It, uh, it does, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that, but that was one of the things I noted was the sort of darker version of the Doctor, which it really only kicks in, I think, probably starting from Dragonfire, because the first couple of stories are very sort of ridiculous. But I'm sure everybody that's listening to this, if they're a Doctor Who fan, knows about the Cartmel master plan and the idea to inject mystery into the Doctor and make him a bit more of a darker manipulator and everything. Uh, never really finer exemplified than in this episode. Um, and I, I'm kind of here for that. There's a, the moment yeah. of the Doctor 
the Doctor being a bit dickish, I think, perhaps, that works for me a lot better than when they tried it with Colin Baker or Peter Capaldi. Um, <clears throat> I don't know why. It just seems to work better with McCoy because he's not like that all the time. So when he is a bit standoffish, it, it just kind of works. Um, I also yeah, think... It's, it's, uh, sorry, go on, Phil. It, no, just, it seems to hit stronger because he, he's yeah. usually playing the lovable clown. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then when he takes on that sort of dark and more serious sort of twist, it's just like, oh, okay, we're going this way now. Okay. Well, exactly. I, I also think it helps that Sylvester's really good at just pulling that off because it's 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 like barely even a, a switch flicks. Mm. It's like it's such a minuscule like change in his demeanor, but it like makes such a big difference. If that makes sense, like I, mm. I don't I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it's such a minuscule change in at least the way that he like appears and acts but at the same time it has like such a big effect because you kind of see like oh yeah there's a menace to this doctor it's kind of fun yeah i i, I love seven he's yeah. he's great fun i always i can never decide whether he or four is my favorite classic doctor either <laughs> He's, he's definitely, I, I don't understand this, people I, that I speak to and uh, there's a podcaster I listen to who don't like the Seventh Doctor's era and I just don't understand that train of thought, that logic at all because it's brilliant <laughs> for the most part. I mean, even the episodes you don't like came up and, and they were linked to the overall story in here um, and I, I love that this is arguably the first time the classic series has tied everything together in that way. Um, so even like, I, I personally like Silver Nemesis even though it's not a popular episode. And I completely forgot that it was tied into this story. So when they mentioned, oh, yes, it was the chess set in Lady Pineford's study, I was like, yes, <laughs> justice for Silver Nemesis. <laughs> it's become important. <laughs> you can kind of see where like, New Who got its template from, really. Oh, completely, yeah. We've discussed that um, when we weren't recording in the past, how this is very much, this is the start of the importance of the companion type story that they do, that they've never not done in New Who, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. I, that was, I mean, that that's the thing I made notes about that with Ace is that I love that this is really, in a lot of ways, a tour episode. It's about her. It's not made explicit, which I love, but it's about her conquering her fear and her sort of psychological damage and ultimately coming out the other end as a better person, um, which, you know, that, it, that's quite deep for 1980, whatever. Yeah, with, 1989? With... No, what am I about? Yeah, 1989 with the ridiculous rubber fish masked people and everything, but you've got some quite depth in there as well. But, yeah. Uh... Also, I also noted as well that the scene near the end, I mean, we're talking about the TARDIS team, so I feel like it's an appropriate time to talk about this anyway. The scene oh, yeah. at the end when, uh, I'm not going to lie, I didn't fully catch why he had to do this. I think it was so much to do with the ancient one, but like... I'll explain, yeah. <laughs> the way that he gets Ace to sort of break her faith in him when that happened, because it's, it's been a while since I watched this episode, but I remember loving it when I first saw it, it completely just flashed me back to the God Complex and the way that yeah. Eleven does it to Amy. Uh, and I think both times, it, it wrote, at least in my opinion, in both times it works really well. Uh, I'd almost, I almost argue that with Eleven, it's almost a little bit more brutal, but that's just because, like, up until this point, Eleven's been a mostly jovial character. <laughs> And then to have him just turn around and be an absolute, for lack of better words, cunt to Amy, <laughs> but he's like completely out of the blue. Whereas with Sylvester, because we've had uh, inclinations of this darker, more manipulative doctor, I think it, not that it wasn't effective, because it really is effective. And uh, especially, I love the way Sophie plays it as well. Hmm. So yeah, uh, sort just, of afterwards. 
just to give the counterpoint to that, I actually did make the note that I think this works better than in the God Complex um, because it's so much more brutal. It's not about, like, Eleven is very much, oh, I'm making you think I'm great and I'm not. I'm just a, a fuck-up, for want of a better word, and I can't really protect you. Whereas this is way more savage. It's like, oh, she's Actually, yeah, I, I guess in this instance, yeah. yeah, he is literally, like, berating her, which yeah. is quite hard to watch. Yeah, and it really is. And uh, but yeah, it's made a little bit clearer in the extended sort of movie edition uh, what the point of it was. But I do wish it was clearer because you're right; it doesn't make sense um, until you understand. But basically, the Doctor knows that he's talked the Ancient One into wanting to turn on Fenric um, because he's sort of he's brought him back to create his own timeline in which the last person and the Earth's destroyed and whatever. Um, so the Doctor sort of knows that the Ancient One wants to turn on him, but the Ancient One can't get to Fenric because Ace is in the way, and her psychic barrier of faith is stopping well, him from so doing it. I assumed it was that, based on like the context clues from earlier, because I, I knew that like the Ancient One was going to turn on Fenric, I knew that's how it ended, and yeah. I knew it was something a lot along the lines of, oh, Ace's psychic barrier is stopping him from getting through, but it wasn't really fully made clear in the episode, so I wasn't fully like, is that why? But no, yeah, it, that was why. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, again, I wish they'd made more of it, because that was another... <laughs> I'll get it. I'll actually get into it later, because that's not really related to talking, but yeah. The only other thing I wanted to say about that is just a couple of nitpicks that I had regarding... Uh, and it's all about Ace, unfortunately, <laughs> which was... At the very start of part one, Sophie Aldred has a very rare lapse in acting, which uh, I it, I wasn't offended. I just found it kind of funny when the two sort of um, annoying girls are trying to talk her into going down to the water and she just she, she turns full on sort of pathetic brat and just goes, swimming stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't like yeah, that. I, I did I, find that quite funny. I, I made a note of that saying, why did you say that? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like that bit. That was one of my few criticisms of the episode that I made a note of was, because, like, I'm spoilers, I, I fucking love this episode, or this story, but I, probably do, yeah. I did say, though, uh, some of the dialogue is a bit wonky and it can kind of take you out at the moment, and that was one of my examples was like, where did that come from, Ace? Why did you suddenly become like a 14-year-old brat for all of two seconds? Especially in a story where it's all about her growth. <laughs> sorry, go for it. Oh, sorry. No, no, go no, no, I was just going to say, it's, it, in a story that's all about her growing up, her acting so childish is so jarring. But uh, yeah, go ahead. I, know, what we're gonna say yeah. I was just going to say, this was really stupid, but around the same sort of scene when she said mm. swimming is stupid and then there was just that pan to the dangerous undercurrent sign which <laughs> i for yeah. some reason that that got me i just i found it that yeah okay that is a a, a fair warning but it just looked silly just this yeah. massive sign it Ima just looked imagine, a bit out of imagine place if it, imagine if it had cut to the sign and it just said swimming stupid <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's what right. I'm doing after this is done. <laughs> can, if you make that, can you send it to Mike to make it the thumbnail? <laughs> Swimming stupid, and that's the thumbnail for the episode. That just completely robs the very last scene of any of its glory, though. Um, I may as well talk about that, because it is related, but yeah, um, it was... It turns out this is a controversial change they made for the movie because in the very last scene, it's again, it's kind of metaphor for Ace's growth. So she does sort of jump into the water and, you know, gets her power and whatever. And at the very end, she looks at the sign and just says, dangerous undercurrents, Doctor. And he replies, ah, no more yet. 
But um, in the movie version, apparently they didn't have access to the actors to re-record the bit that was ADR'd, which was the whole dangerous undercurrents, no longer. So the, the scene just literally ends with her coming out of the water and then them looking at the sign and the doctor going, Niet. Which apparently a lot of people took. <laughs> Brilliant. If, she if goes Phil out the wall and the doctor shouts in Russian. If Phil was the doctor, that is exactly what he'd do. But yeah, so it turns out that was that was hugely controversial, and the um, the guy Marquez that made that version was like, "Well, I thought you got everything from the, you know, you didn't need that extra bit of dialogue. You understood that they're looking at that sign, and that's what he's referring to." And I was like, "Yeah, but it is still pretty funny that it's the only thing he says to her when she gets out the water." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only uh, the Phil, only. Next, Phil, next time I get out of the shower, please just yell yet at me. <laughs> Dangerous undercurrents, Andy. No more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the only other nitpick I had is something that maybe it's just me not understanding the characters or something. But how, how, and when did Ace become some kind of super genius? Because she tells Judson the exact solution to his problem, and then later on tells the doctor, "Oh, you should have told me not to tell him." And I was like, "What? Since when are you some kind of, you know, logic?" problem-solving absolute genius. It just yeah, seems that, that, that did seem to come out of nowhere, but then they kind of explained that it was something to do with her, like, blood relation to Fenric or whatever it was. It, it, was, oh. it was kind of weird. But um, they also mentioned that she should learn basic computer sort of logic in school. In school yeah. yeah. And obviously that, you know, decades after this story takes, she ah, sort yeah, of yeah. understood That's the... True. I think it was kind of a case of she knew it because it was something that in her time period she'd already learned, but obviously we're in the 40s at this point, so like ah, they were like, oh, why would a young girl have learned this? And obviously they don't sense. know that she's not not in not from the 40s. That makes sense, but I do kind of wish that that, that kind of downplays the scene at the end when the doctor's like, she even failed her chemistry exams and stuff, and I kind of did want... Is to just stand up and go, yo, I just solved this fucking logic problem, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you were two episodes ago, but you know. Um, but yeah, and that, other than that, like I said, uh, getting into it all, the whole idea of Ace. <laughs> this is really weird and it's going to sound slightly privy, but Ace becoming a sort of more sexual being and the whole, I'm not a little girl doctor and then trying to seduce the, the soldier. Um, which surprisingly do that. Am I the only one who found that scene a little bit awkward? Yeah. Uh, no, it... It was very poorly written. The dialogue didn't make a. a yeah, ton of the, sense. I was like, "What the fuck are you going on about?" <laughs> I do. Um, I do have a slightly funny story about that particular scene as well, which Go is on. that um, one of the things they changed for the special edition is that they color grade everything because the weather is completely what it shouldn't be. Um, it's meant to be a lovely hot sunny day until the kind of lightning strikes and the storm comes in. Um, but it's not. It's clearly freezing, even when they're sort of paddling in the water and everything. And uh, in the scene when Ace seduces the soldier, it was scripted as, it's so hot, my clothes are sticking to me. But they changed the line because everybody on set that day just burst out laughing every time she delivered that line. Because clearly she's fucking freezing. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why the line is now like, oh, the wind's so cold, it's ripping through my clothes or something like that. Because... Yeah, they, they just couldn't sell the fact that it was supposed to be a hot day. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, what was I going to say? Um, like, I mean, in all fairness, like, I did make a little bit of a note of like how 
that that really really awkward dialogue when she's trying to seduce that soldier does kind of come back at the end because she mentions I think one of the things she mentions gets brought up at the end and I think it ended up being related to some what that happened in Ghostlight or something which you know fair enough but at the same time it was like what are you doing that what <laughs> That was um, that was another note that I found again in my research was that the order of episodes for this season was all over the place. So when she references at one point the sort of spooky house in Perivale, it's supposed to be foreshadowing Ghost Light, but it, now it's actually a reference back to it because yeah, Ghost Light happened. just happened. So it had already happened, um, and likewise, the Doctor wears like a duffel coat in part one, and then. Uh, takes it off to reveal what would have been his new kind of darker costume and would have been a big reveal moment. But this is like the third episode he's worn it in, so that makes no sense anymore. That's just completely flat, uh, which is a shame. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm used to this episode order, but it is kind of annoying when you hear things like that that they tried to do and then couldn't. <clears throat> That's uh, neither here nor there. That's just a bit of geekery. But getting into the um, the side cast for a second, because that's the next thing on here. And uh, I'm going to have to be savage for a moment because this is the, my biggest bugbear with the episode. The two actresses who are playing the, the girls who end up turned into vampires, until they get turned, they are the worst actresses I've possibly Oh my god, seen. yeah, yeah. What are you on about? I thought they were absolutely amazing. <laughs> they looked yeah. up the clueless, annoying twats very well. They, they did their roles perfectly. <laughs> there were such terrible actors, though. It was all stilted and so ridiculous. And then, oh, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't bear it, and then weirdly, when they get turned into vampires, they start acting a little, like, almost better, which is weird. <laughs> Apart from that yeah. one that still just has a deep accent as a vampire, which is the least threatening thing for a vampire ever. <laughs> 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 Come over here! <laughs> I bought you, Nick! I will! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was the only Short issue I had with it. for a pound, Here, I'll screw you up worse than Pat and Frank Butcher. <laughs> Get out of my pub before I bark your neck, you wanker! <laughs> oh, nice. Excellent. But, no, because now I'm just picturing Peggy Mitchell as a, as a hemophore. <laughs> I, I think that's what everybody needs. <laughs> Queen Vic just becomes a Norwegian sailing ship theme. <laughs> Fish behind the bar over there. You go down oh, in the okay. cellar, all the booze is kept, and there's just Fenric there playing chess. <laughs> that's right, that's how yeah, accidentally opened the flask. Yeah, they thought, like... thought they were changing the barrel. <laughs> Let me just get the wine. Oh, shit, Fenric! Oh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that, the other thing, the other reason that bugged me is because they're, they're full on, like, London girls and they say they've been uh, sort of there what's the word evacuees and whatever um but the story takes place which was a bit of a thrill for me in northumberland which is where yeah. i am which is where i'm from so i was like yay northumberland but then there's not one single freaking geordie accent in the entire thing no <laughs> uh, the, the closest you get to i think is um I've forgotten the name of the old lady, but the, the, the woman that the two girls were staying with, she had a, a bit of an yeah. accent, but I couldn't I really call that tell. a Johnny accent. It, it, wasn't, uh, yeah, it, no, it wasn't a yeah. freaking northeast accent. No, not at all. I think it was more sort of stern old lady generally. I think her name was Mrs. Yeah. Hardacre. But I Can I just say, I know you're not meant to, but I kind of loved her. <laughs> she was so she was so ridiculous. Of she did. I was like, you know what? I'm here for you. <laughs> 
she's such a cliche i can understand why you would it's kind of like yeah, yeah. It, it's, I think it, it's not meant to be enjoyable but it's kind of so played up and camp that it's really funny yeah which is something doctor who does do quite a lot especially in the earlier yeah, well, yeah. earlier perhaps not but third and fourth doctor years there's a lot of like we're just going full camp embrace it kind of thing so yeah exactly yeah completely but um the other side cast note that i had which i thought was pretty funny and probably isn't and will fall completely flat but I, the first thing i noticed when Anne reed appeared who is the nurse who's looking after judson was like yeah she's the plasma boy yeah from smith and jones i was like <laughs> that's so weird what are the odds that she basically she gets attacked by vampire creatures and then returns as a vampire creature in my head canon now that's exactly what happened to her she got turned into a vampire and that's it's the same person who reappears in smith and jones now she's just been yeah crazy. exactly why she needs a straw i don't know but we never really understood that at the time um she and yeah, mouth she's hands. getting old she can't bite quite as well anymore yeah she can't bite Thanks she hasn't it. got mouth hands you know what what can you do as a vampire without mouth hands <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Speaking uh, yeah. of which, just, just off the back of that, and we'll probably talk about it more when we talk about the villains, but the fact that they kind of like bit people with their hands, which was kind of bizarre, all I could think, especially like near, like in parts three and four when they're kind of hunting the Doctor and Ace down and they're walking around, all they do is they walk around with like their hands up and I'm imagining that's something to do with the makeup so they didn't like accidentally damage the nails or anything. Mm. But like, all I could think was, why are they just the faceless man from Pan's Labyrinth? <laughs> I think oh. this is, again, this is a really nerdy deep dive, but I think the reason that they use hands is a censorship type thing. Because, and this is really pathetic that I know this, but I know that um, in the Spider Man cartoon of all things from the 90s, they had the oh, character Michael, they had Michael Morbius, the living vampire, in it, but they said he wasn't allowed to bite anybody or say the word blood. So he just literally wanders around talking about how he craves for plasma and sucking blood through people's faces with his hands. Oh, yeah. I remember this. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> I was like, this, this makes no sense. The character clearly has fangs and is a vampire, but they're not allowed to do any of the vampire things with him. So it just comes across really weird. So I've got a feeling that was what happened here, was like they were going to do vampire bites, and then the censors were like, oh, no, you can't be doing that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, on the on the la the last note I had about sidecasters that I just wanted to make a note that um, I think Nicholas Parsons is really outstanding in this story. Yes, um, he was great, especially and for I somebody who's more of a like entertainer. Time on the show, but I agree. Yeah, completely. Every agree, so. every moment with Nicholas Parsons on screen, I was just like, right, right. full attention. Yeah. The, the, man is, the man was brilliant. He was fantastic. The scenes. Um, I is he good? Yeah, he I was the host so, of yeah. Sorry I Haven't um, Not Sorry I oh, Haven't yeah. uh, Just a minute. Phil, you'll mm. never guess who's dead. Oh, don't you start. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people, Andy. Come on. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a Sarah in-joke thing with Phil. It's a wee pay for your floor thing. Oh, well, you're taking over the bloody podcast again. <laughs> but no, I'm on you. <laughs> on that subject i did have a slight very slight disagreement with will because he claimed that part one was really dull and nothing happened and i was like if you're paying attention part one actually gives you the entire theme of the episode in just one line when um nicholas parsons as the vicar is talking to i think mrs hardica the old lady and uh, she's talking about how well people used to believe the word and whatnot and he literally says there's more to faith than words and i was like that's that's the entire episode encapsulated <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I think that character's great. And then his his conversation with Ace in the church, 
Um, and especially the really powerful thing when he's confronted by the vampires <clears throat> and you find out his lack of faith is because our side, the British, have been bombing like innocent people. And so he doesn't quite believe in the good in people. And I really wish they'd made more of the fact that they eventually yeah, do. I, I, but... Yeah, I wish they'd kind of explored that a bit more because that's a really interesting like topic. Completely, like, but also the, the way they finally break through is that they tell him that he, he believes there's good in anybody and then they turn it back and say, there's no good in you. And that's what finally breaks through. And I was like, that's really intriguing. So why have yeah. they... It's such a throwaway line, but I would love to know more about like what, what does that even mean? You know? Yeah, I, I really wish they'd explored his character more. Mm -hmm. Completely, yeah, um, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we'll move on as we uh, alluded to earlier with the um, the villains, and say, uh, let's go to you first, Phil. What did you make of the villains in this story? And there's a lot of them. <laughs> oh, um, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, the vampires. <laughs> Should we we'll the start with them? The, the, mm. the hemovores. They are. They're interesting. I wouldn't say they're as much of a threat as they may be built up to seem. Mm. Um, feel free to you know, call me out and say I'm wrong. Uh, but no, I, I just I, feel I so they, they, they didn't seem like much of a imposing threat. They were just sort of like, they turned up, they smashed through the church, easily escaped and got away with them, uh, <laughs> away from them. It was, it was just, yeah. They didn't I know what, seem to impose, at least to the, to the core team, they didn't seem to impose much of a threat. I disagree, but that's mainly just because we did get quite a few shots of them killing people. That's true. Yeah, like, yeah. Sort of side I think characters, they, I, unnamamed people, there was like, I, oh, I, this, this unknown soldier, there you go, he's, he's dead I, now. I think but... they kind of established enough that they are a threat for me to actually be... Like, so, for example, I know that the scene where Ace kind of escaped... Also, can I just say, I made a note of this, I love how freaking resourceful aces that she just had a rope ladder in her bag why don't modern companions do this like that's this is a smart companion here her bag literally has explosives a rope ladder and probably some survival kit like um, come on there's an even better example of resourcefulness which is cut from there but restored for the special edition not to keep going on but in that scene um it goes on a bit longer and the Russian soldiers that come to save her, they've all made makeshift stakes. So they'll start trying to like stake the Ahimovos through the heart, like actual vampires. <laughs> that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant, but you can see why it was cut because it's pretty intense and like, oof, that's that's not going to get you a TV broadcast. It's pretty violent. Um, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that scene where two of them like capture Ace and she's fighting them off, I found that real. Even though I knew obviously she wasn't going to actually get turned or anything, like yeah. it was really intense. I think I, I'm I'm kind of between the two of you. I can see. I think it was really impressive and the sort of the work of the horror sort of thing of the mist and the underwater shots and the way they appear. Oh, I, I love the underwater shots. Yeah, it's really, really well done. And the way one of my pretty much I think my favorite shot in the entire story is I think it's at the end of part I think it's the end of part two, but it's where they all sort of ascend from the water. Like I just think mm, it's really yes. well done and it looks really <clears throat> cool and effective. Completely, yeah. But where I do agree with Phil is that it does that typical Doctor Who thing that a lot of people complain about nowadays, where it builds up such a threat and then needs to write it out quickly so that it's kind of, it's sort of a damp squib that then yeah. Enric just tells the ancient one, okay, kill them all. And I was like, why? Yeah, I, 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 I would agree. Once Fenric comes along, I think they do lose a lot of their edge because suddenly it's like, oh, well, the big bad's here now. 
Yeah. Like, it, it's it's yeah. kind of like when, so to use like a modern Who example, it's basically whenever the Master has worked with the Cybermen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, it, like we get the, especially like, and don't get me wrong, I love this two part, or I think it's, actually, I think this is probably the least offensive of the three for this, but like in World Enough and Time, and yeah. like, the, the build up to the Mondasian Simon is incredible, and like it's it's so well done, and it's creepy, and it's the most terrifying Simon I've ever been in New Who, mm. at least in my opinion. And then the Master turns up, and you're like, oh well, shit. Well, they don't matter now. The Master's here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I argue that that's the least offensive version because I actually think in the Doctor Falls they actually do a good job of establishing that actually the Simon are the threat because the Master kind of is like, oh shit, they're not. Well, I'm I'm. Like I'm in, I'm in shit now. Like they kind yeah. of twist it, but in Dark Water, Death in Heaven, and especially in uh, the Timeless Children, yeah. that's like that's really prevalent. Where you've got the Cybermen, who especially I actually really I quite like the Cybermen design for the Whitaker era, like the the yeah. uh, essentially the Cybermen Timeless Child. We covered that in Hit and Miss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but then like the Masters there, and suddenly it's like, oh well. The, the Sidemen really aren't that big of a threat, are they? Because the Master's here, and they're obviously the more important one. And I feel yeah. like this is kind of an example of that. It's not even just the Cybermen, I would argue. They do that often. The, the Daleks, whenever Davros turns up, is another example where it's like, oh, there's an army full of Daleks, then Davros shows up, and it's like, never mind, we'll just dispatch them somehow off-screen, you know? But, but uh, yeah. I, was, I, I agree, but at least, at, at least, like, Davros isn't turning up every other series. In the classic series, he was in every Dalek story after Genesis. In the classic yeah. stories, yes. In in New Who, he's only appeared twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm talking in the classic series. It was kind of you knew he was going to appear in part four or six or whatever it was, and then yeah, was he was like, going to oh, be well. the big reveal. Was like, oh, there he is. Yeah, and then now the Daleks are completely lifeless because the real threats here. But yeah, anyway, um, the only other thing I wanted to mention about villains was that I really uh, found it interesting. The commander, I think his name's Millington, his story of uh, yes. when he locks the two Russian soldiers down there. And then he really, like, sinisterly says, like, oh, I was serving on a ship and we had to lock people behind one of the bulkheads. And I listened to them scream for help for an hour, but then the screaming stopped. And I was like, fuck, that really is, as as they say, that inhuman. That's really, really dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh... I, I, love that. I love that that's in the, all this sort of, like... The, the story about ancient evil and the, the worst kind of darkness, it's a human being that's like arguably the most chilling part of the story. I was like, that is messed up. I, I found that as well. As, uh, I think it's just after that scene, but how casually he just shot that man in the leg and was yeah. like, well, you're not doing that and just shoots him. And what... Also, I was correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like this episode has way more sort of use of guns than I remember in a lot of classic Who. Uh, yeah, probably, but it is a military base. So. True, but I wasn't expecting yeah. to be like so gratuitous with like the amount of shooting that ends up happening. Mm, maybe I, I don't know if I noticed it as such, but maybe that's just because I'm, uh, you know, gun nuts. I'm not. By the way, speaking <laughs> of um, use of guns, though, one in. thing that really did make me chuckle was mm. the very beginning of episode one, where the Doctor and Ace just casually stroll into the base. Surrounded <laughs> yeah. by soldiers, and then they just casually stroll away. <laughs> that was another thing I should, I should probably mention that because it was another part of my argument with Will was that he said he didn't like that um, the Doctor and Ace just walk in and there's not much security on the base. And I was like, that's part of the plot. They explain that three times. It's because they're trying to leave it open so that the Russians can steal the Ultima machine, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so it's like it's not like it's a, an error. It's part of the story, you know. But uh, yeah, I do love that the doctor in in a full on like the me as well use the psychic paper thing. He just types out a letter from the prime minister and forges a signature. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. on in yeah. front of Judson as well. He's just like, look, there you go. And I'll do. It is also it's quite. I remember what, when I was watching this because if you remember the first episode of this of the spin the wheel is when we did the visitation, and yes. I remember. Uh, when I was rewatching this, I was like, "Why does it he just use the Sonic for this?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, the Sonic's not here. Yeah, like, the Sonic. They don't have a Sonic until New Who now, does it?" Uh, no. It's kind of it's kind of fun seeing how resourceful the Doctor is without the Sonic, like when he Completely. doesn't have that to rely on. Absolutely, yeah, <clears throat> couldn't agree more. But yeah, so did you guys have any other thoughts on villains, or can I move us to the story part? Uh, I I really really lo- like love the design of the Hemovores, like. I don't know, maybe it doesn't hold up as well now, but personally, I find the makeup effect to be really good and, like, actually quite sinister, especially the non-fish-looking ones. Mm. I really like, like the design of the ancient one. Yes. Um, that looked really good. One thing I particularly liked was how, right at the end, it's Ace, Fenric, they're all in that sort of bunker room with the chest set and everything, and Ace walks backwards, bumps into the ancient one, turns round sees it, you'd expect her to maybe freak out. She doesn't, she, she's like, oh, okay, it's a fish dude, and then just continues staring back at Fenric. Is that, I like that she didn't go down the stereotypical yeah. screaming, ah, it's a monster. You can't imagine Ace doing that, to be fair, and yeah, completely yeah, that's, that's yeah, not in her like what, so much. What, yeah, one thing that I've always loved about Ace in every story I've seen her in is just how much she doesn't fall into that damsel in distress trope. Like, even when the hemoballs are about to kill her. Maybe right at the end when they were, were about to get her, but like, and before then, her first instinct wasn't to like cry for help. It was like, I'm gonna just beat the shit out of you. <laughs> That's exactly what she did. And I'm like, I commend you for that. You're great. Fair enough. I do find it interesting that you said you liked the design of the ancient one, Phil, because again, as I was reading about the story, the episode writer supposedly hates it. <laughs> it wasn't what he had in mind at all. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good. It does the job, and at least I, I, think, it, yeah, I think it's good. I think the, yeah. the I think that the, the whole hemophore design is good, and I like. I don't know why, but there's something especially sinister about the human-looking ones. I don't know. Maybe not necessarily the little girls because they were kind of annoying, but like that scene. Where probably at least the, the scene that I think is probably the most horror in this is when that soldier walks into the, the communications room and then all the women turn around and they've all turned. Yes. Like yes. that's really quite chilling and they all look menacing and then they just like they just kill him and it's like, oh wow. <laughs> I don't know. I just I thought that was really effective. I love this episode's use of horror. I just think yeah. it works really well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um it, couldn't agree more, yeah. <laughs> I, I love overall, I just love I love the, the the sort of like whole atmosphere of the episode and how this really is just like the Doctor meets like essentially the supernatural kind of in a way. Um, yeah, I I kind of wish they they'd done more about that though because I don't what I don't yes. love is the explanation about um oh the Hemovores aren't vampires they're an evolution of humans from the future when pollution has overtaken and mutated them and initially I was kind of I was really resistant because I hate. When Doctor Who does that, and it's been done so many times with the dregs and the toclophane and everything, that I was like, oh, I hate this. But I, I found it fine because it was saved at the end by the fact that that timeline is negated because the Ancient One kills Fenric. So it doesn't actually happen. So I was like, okay, yeah. I'll let you off with that one because at least you've sort of explained it was a possible timeline and now it won't occur. So 
But yeah, I never like the sort of, um, we're going to do something supernatural, but give it some kind of weird time travel or alien explanation. Just embrace yeah. it and be like, well, it's, you know, it's vampires, <laughs> whatever. That, that's what, what I really want Doctor Who to do one day, is literally just have vampires and have them be vampires. Like, they kind of did that with the werewolf in Tooth and Claw. Like, they, yeah. they kind of tried to sci-fi explain it, but in essence, he really was just a werewolf. So, like, I'm kind of like, why can't we just do that with vampires? Why can't we just have actual vampires? Like, that would be cool. And I want to see how the Doctor would, like, deal with that. Yeah, completely. Rather than, it, rather than for, like, the sec second time being like, oh, they're fish! Yeah. Exactly. I say I say that as if I don't like vampires in Venice. I actually do. I find that episode very enjoyable. Um, it is but... weird how they are effectively, though. Like, just they look really cool as vampires, and then when you get down to it, it's just a, some kind of glamour, and they just look like giant fish, and it's just yeah, like it giant make a lot monster sense. things. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's it's very weird. But I was anyway. discussing that with Will the other day when we were talking about uh, rewatching this. Um, mm. But anyway. Um, what was I going to say? I had another note. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Oh, on top of the how much I like the use of horror in this, I really like, and again, it might have happened in Classic Who before, but I'm not remembering. So if if it has, especially you, Mike, because obviously you're more knowledgeable in Classic than me, you might be able to tell me. But um, uh, I really like this episode's use of time in the sense that, like, like oh, obviously you've kind of already mentioned the initial one killing Fenric destroys the potential timeline where the Hemovores actually come to exist. Like that, I don't remember that really ever happening in Doctor Who, Classic Who, that much anyway. Like they didn't really use time as a as a device that often, if it make if that makes sense from what I remember. Yeah, that's once or twice. The one that springs to mind is the Space Museum, which does something vaguely similar, like a negated yeah. timeline idea. But yeah, you're right. It's not. It's certainly when Moffat started writing stories is when that was every second story. I think so. Yeah. So I'll move us on anyway into the story things, because I did want to mention um, one thing that I picked up on in terms of subtext in the story is that there's an awful lot in here about sexuality, um, which you might not notice if you're not looking for it, but maybe I'm just a perv. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the idea that um, th at the very start, the two girls say that they're going to go swimming in the, the river thing with Ace, and then Miss Hardacre, oh, the yes. The old woman says, I know exactly why girls go to Maiden's Point. But that's it's three girls that are going there. So it's very sort of, ah, hang on, this is hints of lesbianism. And that links to the whole, that's evil and it will turn you into a vampire kind of thing as well. But um, so, yeah, I was really intrigued by that. Again, I wish they'd almost made more out of it. But I picked up on the little subtle hints of it. Yeah, oh. I, 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 now you mentioned that, I'm sort of remembering the scene and going, oh, yeah. Like, maybe they could have delved into that, but I guess we've also got to remember, like, this was, like, 1989. They probably wouldn't yeah, be quite as, like, nice about it. That's the thing. I think they try to in little ways. So they sort of say that, you know, that's how that's perhaps why everyone keeps saying how the girls have dark hearts or whatever, um, because that's necess sadly how it was probably looked on, you know, in, in the 40s. Um, and the other thing I wanted to kind of allude to, which is, again, I did far too much research for these, but I researched the novelization of Fenric, which actually explains that the base commander and Judson were gay lovers, which is not at all in the um, in the actual oh, episode. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, that never <laughs> never even get a hint of that, cranky. Yeah, it's a shame because this apparently the writer based Judson on Alan Turing. Um, oh, he, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, but he said he since he Did couldn't portray 
the frustration with not being able to be open about your sexuality, he changed it to being frustrated because you were crippled. But in just, the, just so I remember that Judson is the guy who ends up being Fenric, isn't it? Yes, yes, the guy yes, in the wheelchair. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but they, they do say that like the reason for his being disabled is something that the commander did, and then never explain it. But in the book, they explain that it's because they were gay lovers, and apparently he caught Judson staring at another boy in a rugby match and got carried away and sort of savagely tackled him and somehow wrecked his spine or something, um, which I found really interesting because, again, it's subtext that's in there in the episode, but it's so much more added depth to it. And, I, again, if it was made today, it might have made a really interesting extra layer to the story. Um, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> that was just something I found and thought, like, oh, that, that's really interesting. It's a shame they can't do more with it. But, yeah, again, I thought it was nice that they, they explained who the motivations were for all these things and, uh, you know, respect to... The code breakers and the women as well of the of the forties. So, yeah, the idea as well. I've already touched on this, but the idea that they they talk more about, as well as Fenric being the ultimate evil, the immorality of kind of the the people that that wage war and like wanting to use this bio weapon to just effectively wipe out the enemies, even if they're currently allies and whatnot. Which was a layer that I'd forgotten about to the story, but really enjoyed. Perhaps is the wrong word, but yeah, appreciated on rewatching it. Yeah, and what else did I say here? The only other thing was, yeah, um, I, I wasn't sure if I'd picked up on the right thing here, but the idea that when they'd captured the machine, the word that was going to trigger it and kill them all was love, which I was like, is that really deep? Is that talking about how love can ultimately kill you or something? Or was it just a total random coincidence, you know? I was thinking that. It's like that seems like it's going to have some sort of deeper meaning, or am I just reading too much into this? Yeah, I did too, but... I couldn't figure it out in the end. I just thought, well, maybe they're, or maybe they're, you know, it's making a mockery of something pleasant because they're actually evil, or I, I don't know. Um, uh, also, just while we're, I'm just going down my notes, I oh, like okay. the idea of, and I know it's, I, I don't know why this idea, I liked it so much, but just the idea of having, obviously, the uh, the decoding machine from World War Two being the thing mm. that, like, translated all of these Nordic runes. I just liked that. I thought yes, that was kind yeah. of a neat idea. Yeah, it, it is. It's really cool. Um, completely. The only other note I did have under story was that I really like the scene where, again, it's playing into the idea that the Doctor's becoming more of a mystery and becoming further away from the character you might think you know. So it's the scene when, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the character, but Audrey's mum basically asks the Doctor if he has any family and he says that he doesn't know, uh, which I think is really interesting. That's a complete sort of compared to... The second Doctor, who was like, yeah, I remember them if I close my eyes, but, you know, that they live in, in me, and he thoroughly remembers who they are. To this point with yeah. the seventh Doctor, where he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> I also, on the note of, I quite liked Audrey's mum. She seemed nice. She's lovely, and I like that they go into that. I, again, I wish they'd done more with it, and maybe they were planning to if the series hadn't been summarily cancelled, yeah. but the idea that Ace sort of learns that she could love her mum as a baby, but she hates her in reality was such a really cool idea. And we never get an explanation for why she hates her mother, unless I just haven't seen that episode. Um, so no, I don't I, think it's ever really... I think they maybe mention it a little bit more in Survival, but that's like mm. the next story and that's it. I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, again, there's such cool, ripe things to explore there, and it, it just makes it sad that there wasn't more time given to these characters, but... Yeah. Um, the very last note I had, and then I'll just ask you guys if you've got any last things before conclusions. Um, it's a very simple one, but one that you'll appreciate, Andy. I really like the music store score. Sorry, in this episode, yeah, it's really very good. good. Yeah, 
good. Yeah, uh, it's really it's sinister when it needs to be. It stops when it wants to be chill, and it's um, bombastic at all the right times, and it really yeah. it helps. It, 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 it I in particular like the music when uh, when they're running through that tunnel as the hemovores yes. are kind of coming after them. I really like the music there. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a bit 80s, but I think it works really well. So, uh, yeah, I think it works. It's got a lot of heavy heavy synths just echoing all around the place, but it works, especially in the tunnels and the chases. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, what, what, Why are you giggling? Sorry, I thought this is... Mike, you're not going to understand any of this, but Phil, I thought you were going to say it had a heavy flow then. What the... <laughs> <laughs> This is why this oh this is why as as nice as the dynamic might be having a couple on like we're just gonna have too many in jokes where someone's gonna say something and it's just gonna trigger the other one. It's fine. We're we're used Heavy to use. Heavy flow, Phil. <laughs> no, you said too many. Or too many cooks. <laughs> oh, but see, I've, I've I tried to be good. We're going to get nearly to the end. Oh, that's fine. Andy usually shares your uh, in-jokes with us anyway. So we've, I, I, we've I, what are we going to say there? <laughs> no, he doesn't share that much, believe me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so just, uh, just quickly then, before conclusions and stuff, did you guys have any other notes or anything you wanted to touch on from anywhere uh, in the episode? Just going to uh, look down my list. Phil, if you've got any, just while I'm reading. Um, I think the uh, only thing that needs mentioning again is that Nicholas Parsons was absolutely amazing. Yep. Yeah. He was great. I did um, forget to mention as well because I didn't notice it until watching the second time around that the doctor's I, what he does in his faith to kind of repel the hemovores is that he says the name of his former companions, which is so like buried in the mix that you almost can't hear it. But when I was, I was wondering out, what he was saying, I didn't yeah. pick up on that. You can't. Yeah, make he, a... he says it so fast. You can't really make out a whole lot after a certain point, but you can definitely hear Susan, Barbara, Ian, Stephen, and then it just trails into noise, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's it's a cool touch. I wish that's that again. Cool. That, that, is, that, that is really that cool. That brings me to one of my main notes that I had, and I like it when Doctor Who or just any like anything in the Doctor Who universe uses this anyway. But I love the idea of, I mean, in this instance, it's obviously faith being this like barrier, this like protection. But in general, I just find it really cool when uh, when any story kind of uses like this, like an emotional thing as like mm -hmm. the catalyst or something. So, like for example, in um, uh, for example, I'm trying to think of an example on top. Well, it's kind of like in in the God Complex, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the idea that it feeds on faith is interesting. In um, Day of the Clown, I like the idea that because it caught because the the Pied Piper or whatever it's meant to be, I always forget. Because it Graham. causes fear, uh, yeah, Graham. Because it causes fear, I like the idea that laughter is what combats it. And I don't know why. I just really like it when Doctor Who touches on this idea of like emotions as like as a catalyst or as a weapon or something. I, just, I like it. I think it kind of works, unless it's love, because that's used way too much. But anyway, so yeah, um, if you guys are happy to do it, we'll do our conclusions and scores. Uh, do you have any preferred order or? Go on, Andy. I know uh, you're dying for the attention. Fuck off. <laughs> we normally do it guest, co-host, host. So I was going to let Phil go first. Yeah, Phil, Phil, I was going to say, Phil, you, you go first. Go ahead. Oh, no, that means I have to think of words and things and you, stuff. If, if you just give a score, that's fine. Most uh, There's a lot of people that are like, what's your conclusion and score? And they just go, I liked it. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, good. Cool. Uh, but no, I, I, I did. Phil out like that. You leave him alone. 
Um, but no, I, I, I liked it. It's great. <laughs> fuck, off. fuck right off. I'm, uh... but no, it, it was it was really good. Um, there's some silly moments with the dialogue maybe not landing quite as well as it could have done. Mm. And maybe some parts of the story that like we've already mentioned could have maybe been fleshed out or explored a little bit more in detail. But overall, it's a really strong story. I'd probably give it 8, 9 out of 10. I'm, we'll go 8.5. Yeah, split the difference. Oh, fine. 8.5 Okay. Uh, Andy, you go ahead then. Okay. I wrote a full conclusion. So Would I wrote, uh, one of my favourite, if not my favourite classic story... Just so you know, favourite in my eyes doesn't necessarily mean that I think it's the best, but no. at least subjectively for me, it's my probably my favourite. I love it so much. I yeah. Anyway, the conclusion. One of my favourite, if not my favourite, classic story uh, stories. Um, I love the plot. The creatures look menacing and creepy. There's a lot of great use of horror uh, that really builds attention and actually do, does like generally creep me out a little bit. Uh, seven and eight have a wonderful dynamic, and I love how much it plays a huge role in not just the plot, but the story of the season as a whole. I love how elements tie in together to make Ace's character arc and why the Doctor chose to travel with her. It's a story that I can rewatch and never get bored. The pacing is practically perfect, and overall it's just extremely enjoyable. Some of the dialogue is wonky, but I really don't care when I love the story as much as I do. Perfect yeah. 10. Awesome. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do the same as you. I give a conclusion and a score. So I, I said, so good, all in capitals. A perfect encapsulation of what the show could do at its best. Examining deep themes and ideas with a glossy sci-fi horror quote. Perfect long-form storytelling, enhancing the whole era and reinforcing the Cartmel master plan, making it all the more tragic that this is the penultimate episode of the classic show. Uh, classic show. There are nitpicks, but they don't, for me, lessen the impact of the overall product and the things that the story is trying to do. Um, it's hard-hitting, gripping, engaging, and ultimately just something that hits me in my sweet spot. Uh, and I also went for a perfect 10 out of 10. Yeah, I love it. So <laughs> I'm so glad you gave it a 10. Will messaged me the other day when I was coming home from the hospital about my nose, and he, he was talking to me about, because I think it was getting me to send him my list of episodes again, which mm. I, I have to do this so many fucking times now. But he was like, <laughs> he was like, Andy, we've not had a perfect 10 out of 10 episode yet. Do you think yeah. you can do it for this week? And I'm like, well, I don't know, because I'm not going to gaslight Mike into thinking it's perfect <laughs> if he doesn't think it is. But you've given it a 10, and Phil's yeah. the one who did it. I thought Phil would. Yeah, now we have to mock Phil. He's the one. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. No, don't change your score. No, okay. Uh, no, it's fine. We can go with I, I think it's great, but there's very few things that I would give a 10. Yeah. So you're going with... 10, we'll 10 go has with... to be something that would be near enough perfection with so minor things that you're barely worth mentioning that you could change it. The only things that come to mind instantly for me with that is like Girl in the Fireplace. I'd give that a 10. Well, you mentioned yeah. that. Fair enough. Um, yeah, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, so I took uh, I took your score of 8.5 and our scores of 10, added them together, multiplied by 3 to give you the average. So the average for the podcast, the full score for The Curse of Fenric is 9.5 out of 10. So, might not be a perfect 10, but it's bloody close. <laughs> so, there you go. 
if, if you liked me and Phil and our back and forth jabbing dynamic, because we're a couple and that's what couples do, you can find us over on the We Pay For Your Floor podcast, which I will never get over how great that name is. I fucking love it. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things we've ever come up with, but it's just a podcast where Phil and I and our one of our close friends, Sarah, who lives in the flat above us, it's just us having a laugh and pissing about, really. Uh, it's it's great fun. We enjoy making it. It's I think it's pretty funny. Uh, we we really enjoy making it, so it, we'd appreciate if you'd go and check that out. Uh, oh, new yeah. episodes come out at seven pm every Tuesday. Because uh, nothing good happens on a Tuesday. Because nothing good happens on a Tuesday. That was our exact. <laughs> when we were discussing what day we wanted to wear, that was legitimately what we said. Do it on a Tuesday because nothing good happens on a Tuesday. Uh, yeah. And then if you like me, which I don't know why you would, but if you do like me. Uh, you can catch me streaming over at Kemp Plays on Twitch when I finally start doing that again. I don't know when that's going to happen, though, because I took a bit of time off because I I broke my nose, and then it was my birthday, and I've just been a bit busy. Fair enough. I will uh, promise spin the wheel for the next episode in a second, but just before I get on with that, um, since we're plugging things, if you enjoy listening to me <laughs> rambling... <laughs> don't. <laughs> if you enjoy listening to me rambling... Um, myself and Will, who is the podcast overlord, you know, who game shows, have started a new uh, film podcast. Uh, it is called Hit or Miss the Big Screen. You can find the Twitter handle uh, or the YouTube name under that. Um, just in the interest of housekeeping for the next episode, I have got the 15 stories to uh, to choose am I, from. Am I, just, I am on the next one, aren't I? I think I am. I honestly don't know. I just know that I'm not. <laughs> uh, right, I'll spin and you can find out what you're going to be reviewing and... Uh, here goes. I don't know if you can hear that, but that's the wheel spinning. I can now. Ooh. Oh, God, what? It's an episode you mentioned earlier. It is the Sarah Jane Adventures episode, Day of the Clown. Yes! I got another one of my choices! <laughs> I keep winning with this show. I'm starting to feel as though this is rigged. <laughs> I promise I did it fairly. You heard the wheel spin. That was what came up. So, yeah. Um, tune in next week. <laughs> tune in next week to hear Andy, Will, and their guest. Um, but they will be reviewing Day of the Clown. Uh, in the meantime, it is goodbye from me and my negated timeline. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, goodbye from these pair of jokers. Goodbye from these gays. <laughs> oh. <laughs> goodbye. Uh, Hear from you soon, guys. Enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. See you in the next one.